Welcome to the Reggie McNeil Podcast, where we explore what it means to seek God's kingdom here on earth. Join us on our journey to become more aware of and encouraged by God's work in and around us. Well, hey, gang of podcaster listeners out there, we're glad to have you today, and I'm super glad uh, to have with us today Natalie Royer. She is the chief of staff at the Church of God Ministries uh, that's located in Anderson, Indiana. I've done a lot of work with this crew, or I've worked around this crew uh, a lot, I guess I should say, uh, for a number of years now. Natalie is is fairly new to my world in this. And uh, but Natalie, you've, you've been there now how many years? Hi, Reggie. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. I have been at the Church of God uh, Ministries office for five, almost five years now. So See, That's just so amazing because I know you came there uh, with the new uh, executive General secretary, General mm-hmm. secretary with Jim, uh, and I could interview him, but I really don't want to. I'd much rather <laughs> talk with you. Uh, and you can say anything about him today, and we can use that uh, <laughs> together on him. But but I, I, I would like for you to introduce yourself to um, our listeners, uh, give us a little bit of your background and some of your responsibilities. I just think it's fascinating to have uh, you in this, in this role, and, and a, a lot of folks, I think, will be uh, delighted to find out that someone in such as uh, an obvious position of leadership is so highly capable and competent as we talk about your movement and the kingdom moving forward. So tell us about you, Natalie. Sure. Yes. Okay. Well, again, I'm Natalie and I am the chief of staff here at Church of God Ministries, which means why I work directly for the general director who is employed by the general assembly of the church of God. So our, um, we work for the church of God movement. We are the administrative arm um, of over 2000 churches and 6,000 credential pastors in the U S and Canada. And then we're also present in 90 countries around the world, um, have missionary staff there and also um, expressions of the Church of God in each of those countries that we network with in order to do some kingdom work uh, globally. So it's really fun to sit here in the middle of the country in Indiana um, and serve the leaders and the congregations in the U.S. and Canada specifically um, through leadership development and um, just networking them and equipping them to deliver kingdom work, uh, you know, around the world. So my job is really to make sure that the general director's vision and what he's hearing from the Lord is actually executed and, um, and pushed out to, to help yep. the others. Well, you have an enormous operation there. Um, I mean, your, your movement's very active uh, and a growing movement. Uh, would you say, internationally you're seeing more growth uh, than U.S., or how would you compare that? Yeah, absolutely. I would say that the, the Church of God specifically right. is is definitely growing um, quicker outside of the U.S. and Canada um, than it is here in the United States, and that's, so our partnerships yeah, are really important. Yeah, that's typical. Uh, where uh, for U.S. denominations, or I know you don't call yourself a denomination, that would be the closest thing for folks to think about uh, your yeah. your movement, and I, I get that. Uh, so that's not intended uh, when mm-hmm. I use that word. As a, uh, I don't think you're a movement, you know. But anyway, so I, I'm I'm mess, uh, you know. I I just want our folks to have a 
clear view of how you sure. function. Tell me, um, where are the bright, uh, the hot spots of, of growth, Christian growth, um, in in your ministry? Is is it like many others in uh, Asia, Africa? Where where yes. would that be? I would say Africa is where um, we definitely have a lot of growth, exponential growth happening there, and then also in Korea. So yes, Asia, in um, Korea over there, we're we're having a lot of experiencing a lot of growth there as well. You know, Exciting. Mo yeah. yeah, most North American Christians, we think that North America is God's home zip code. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and that, you know, that God's an American after all. And, um, and so he, he looks at everything through our eyes. It's fascinating. I mean, a hundred years ago, 80% uh, of Christians in the world were white, North American, Western culture. And that's exactly reversed now. Um, only 20% fit that 80% of Christians in the world are non-white, they're Southern hemisphere yeah. and, um, and non-Western cultures. And yeah. so it's, it's just fascinating to see that shift in, in 100 years, uh, yes. you know, and, and we're seeing it even exponentially. And, and to know that the church in Africa is gonna be the largest uh, group of Jesus followers um, within just a few years now. I mean, it used yeah. to be predicted middle of the century. That number keeps coming closer and closer as as the uh, as these folks literally are living the Book of Acts. Jim does a lot of work in India too. Your your sure general does. director. Yes. And yes. and of course we're seeing. Um, I mean, what's going on in India is just un unbelievable in terms of of uh, you know exponential growth. So I'm That's glad true. you're in touch with all of that. Uh, and as a chief of staff, how many folks do you have responsibility for there in Anderson or, I mean, how, where, where does your sphere of influence, how far out does that go? Does, does it extend all the way to these missionaries in the field? Yes. Yeah, so in my portfolio specifically, I'm more focused on the U.S. and Canada churches and leaders that we're um, equipping here in the United States and Canada. Um, but there's a whole other, you know, half of our $10 million annual fundraise budget is, um, is delivered globally to the mission work happening globally around the world. And, and so there's a whole half of um, what we do here at Church of God Ministries in terms of networking and receiving those funds and dispersing them and partnering, um, walking alongside leadership on the ground globally um, that's done here as well. And I would say, Reggie, too, to your point, you know, about um, Kind of the U.S. centric view we can tend to have about church. We're also taking and learning a lot um, from what's happening in as culture relates to church um, over in Europe. You know, they're they're quite ahead in terms of the um, collision that's happening with culture and church. Yep. And there's a lot that the U.S. church and needs to be learning, paying attention to, taking cues from. Um, as culture is so rapidly shifting here as well. Yes. Yeah, they are far more secular uh, there mm -hmm. along the secular. Uh, you know, it's amazing. Uh, Americans remain, um, you know, I tell folks sometimes we we are still in a fairly God intoxicated, uh, you know, culture, even though it's a non-church, it's a growing non-church culture. Mm -hmm. But yet most Americans still have a sense of spiritual I mean, it's very different from Europe in in the in the regard you can have a, a a God conversation here, but as you further you go down the generational food chain, it begins to look like Europe, and that's where we're uh, I think missing the boat sometimes. Uh, and if we don't engage our younglings, Gen X and not Gen X, Gen Z now, 
and, and millennials um, in, in God conversations where we are going to be Europe very, very quickly. Um, well, I, I'm fascinated. Uh, of course, I know some of your engagement, you just don't serve a bureaucratic or administrative role. Uh, you know, I've, I've uh, watched you and, and partnered with you some in, in some initiatives that you're taking yeah. uh, to help the church do, uh, you know, uh, be in touch with younger gen and to kind of re-narrate uh, its relevance in the culture. You want to talk about that for some? It's, uh, yeah, I sure do. It's C4, I think. Yeah, the Chapter 4 Institute um, is something that just has stood up here out of our offices. You know, what I know for sure about myself, Reggie, is that I have been equipped to help organizations build new momentum in places that are experiencing stagnant or diminishing impact. Yeah. <laughs> and so what I bring to the table, even though I was hired initially as a CFO here, um, I've quickly morphed out of that role into a place of more imaginative program building. Yeah. Um, as we survey the landscape of what's happening to the church in the U.S., um, what, we're, what we've realized is there needs to be a shift and the way we deploy the resources and um, the, the access that the church has to uh, stakeholders in the community for the community. Um, and our pastors and leaders are looking for some new ways and new ideas and, and tangible resources and tools to learn how to do that. And so we've stood up the Chapter 4 Institute as a way to start responding to what we're seeing as the church becoming increasingly irrelevant to culture. Right. Culture is not looking to the church to solve its most vexing problems. Um, and that's happening at the family level, at the community level. Um, and the church is actually the most equipped institution to start addressing some of these issues because in the churches, in our pews, represent all the sectors from the community. So we have the public sector, the private sector, the nonprofit sector. Um, they're all there coming every Sunday or online now, <laughs> yeah. Zoom, thanks to the pandemic. Yeah. Um, they're all present and gathering um, to worship and connect and unite. Um, and it's really the opportunity of the leadership of that congregation to do an assessment of who they have in front of them and how they might inspire and mobilize and deploy them to start imagining how the church could start setting the table for solving community problems. Yeah. So the chapter four Institute is a year long immersive experience that we're inviting these leaders into to learn from those community organizers and social um, problem solvers that have been doing the work for decades to learn from them about how to get going in that kind of a work. Well, yeah, I say a lot of times to groups I work with, you know, the church is the largest bundler of social capital mm -hmm. uh, in in the city, in most of our cities and communities. And if we could unbundle that social capital and focus it, target it, release it, empower it, whatever the, the what fill in the blank, but uh, you know, come out and play, uh, then we could literally solve some of these and address and and even move the needle on some of these big societal issues that vex us. Now, you keep saying chapter four, and I don't know, is that chapter four of uh, War and Peace? or <laughs> No, what is that's the reference there? chapter four out of the book of Luke. Oh. Um, and the Luke chapter four, where Jesus 
shows up as a hometown boy back to Nazareth after having received his call to ministry. He showed, he goes home to Nazareth and he um, unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and he basically calls a shot as a leader and says, hi, it's me. You know, I am here to set the captives free and um, to heal the blind. And, um, and then he rolls the scroll up and he gets going. He go, he doesn't sit, he doesn't talk about it. He doesn't um, stay put. He is on the move. Yeah. And so the Jesus, the King that I serve is one who has modeled his whole ministry career from that moment forward that to um, love our neighbor and and share the gospel, it's done through action. And so through the chapter four Institute, we take that shot that Jesus called his, his ministry, like this is what I'm here to do and go watch me, I'm gonna do it. Mm-hmm. And we, we ground the leaders in the theology of that, the theology of place. We help them see how Jesus would walk town to town and he'd see Zacchaeus in the tree and he'd see um, the leper and he'd see the blind man. And, and then he'd see that neighborhood for what it was and then he would deliver the love and the good news and the gospel in a way that was curated for that place. And so we help our leaders see the place. Um, and then we help them take whatever ideas that are inspired by the Lord about how to start addressing the need of that place, take that idea and put it into action. This is, this is pure kingdom stuff uh, because the, the, the kingdom is all about flourishing, human mm-hmm. flourishing the life that God intends for people to have and how we can help people experience that life. Um, it's interesting there, of course, when he delivered that message, um, you know, he stirred him up, but not yeah. in the way that, to, to, you know, they, they ran him out of town. They did. Um, and, and where he got in trouble, of course, is all of his sermon illustrations were about uh, folks that weren't part of the, uh, you know, considered part of the elect or the, the group. You know, he talked about, non-Jewish uh, uh, blessings, you know, it's, it's, quite a, it's quite a sermon on how the kingdom is worldwide touching every people group, um, not something that we own, uh, right. you know, church people. I mean, and so the idea of turning people into church people first in order to do kingdom work is just kind of a crazy notion, especially in light of chapter four. So, um, Give us an example or two of some of the things that you've seen come out of your C4 in terms of these community engagements. Because if we were going to translate all that, just bottom line is you're helping these church leaders um, figure out a way to be in a better servant posture in their in their communities and impact their communities in specific ways through some initiatives. Give us an example or two of those. Absolutely. Um, so we have some church, we have a church in Fresno, California that has opened up their, one of their assets, which is their building, right. open up their building to host citywide conversations. So the police force will come, the mayor will come, the city council will come to the church as a neutral ground to have political conversation or, um, you know, city consequential conversation there. And it's, that's because of a, a relationship that that senior pastor just decided to build with the chief of police, decided to build with the mayor um, who's in public service. They're not stepping in to solve public service problems, but they're opening up the asset that they have in their congregation for those, co- those conversations to be held there. And the feedback has been over the years of that. Um, thank you, because we could have never had this conversation at city hall. 
Hmm. We could have this conversation in this safe place. Um, We have a church in Bellingham, Washington, who during the pandemic reached out and offered to write letters to the the teachers who were in a stressful mode of um, administering school via Zoom. And as openings, as the um, world started opening back up in the last six months in Bellingham and students started returning to school, they had to do so in a socially distant way. And the building wasn't big enough to spread the kids out far enough. And so the school, because of that relationship built between those congregants and the teachers, the school called the church to see if the church would open up a, a wing of their building to host the fourth grade students. So the fourth grade of Bellingham, Washington started having school at the Cornwall Church in Bellingham um, because that school recognized that church is a safe place to be to partner with. Now, unless Um, you've been, uh, unless you've been in Washington State and understand some of the dynamics between church and state there, uh, you know, that story might sound not phenomenal, but that is beyond phenomenal in the state of Washington. That that really in Bellingham, in particular, in the state of Washington. That's right. Uh, you know, um, but uh, established out of relationships again, uh, that that were uh, open. Um, what uh, is, is there any other? Oh yeah, I've got a few more. I mean, many more um, off the top of my head. Sure. Um, there's in Flint, Michigan. We have a senior pastor there who has opened up a laundromat to. Um, because he saw his neighborhood and recognized that people were having struggling just getting basic needs met kids were going to school you know in dirty clothes and people could not go get jobs because they just didn't have an opportunity to clean their clothes and so the church has opened a laundromat which has fostered the space for them to have build relationship with the neighborhood which has translated into other ways they could serve and love them Um, there's another church who's who started auto repair. So some of the congregants of the churches are donating or finding cars that are otherwise kind of broken and they're fixing them up and giving them to families who just need a ride. They don't have wheels to get to their job or it's changing the life of that neighborhood just because they've unlocked, solved a problem there in that way. Well, you know, these, these leaders that you're working with that are uh, accepting these uh, responsibilities are, they're exercising a different kind of stewardship. Mm-hmm. Uh, than the typical, you know, I'm here to pastor a flock. No, you're here to pastor a community. You know, right. you're you're supposed to bring the shalom of God, uh, you know, to the, to your entire community. Are there some different competencies uh, that are involved, or what are the challenges to move from, you know, what I call a church-centric approach to this more kingdom-centric approach? What what are some of the leadership challenges you see there? Yeah. So, I guess I would say, Reggie, that you know, and from a practical standpoint, any leader who's leading a church right now or a congregation could run themselves through this brief exercise. They could, they could ask their, themselves the question, write down the challenges and needs of your congregation. What's hard? What's shifting? What, what does my congregation need right now? Take a moment to write that down and think through that. Then ask yourself that same question about your neighborhood. Right. And allow yourself to see how you're seeing the needs of the congregation and how aligned are those with the needs of the neighborhood. And if your focus is solving for the needs of the congregation without the congregation even seeing the needs of the neighborhood, then there's a miss happening. And so what we've seen is our ability to encourage the pastors, set the needs of the congregation aside for a moment. What if we focused externally 
and and rallied around the needs of the neighborhood, might that not automatically start solving some of the needs of the congregation? So there's a shift in perspective yes. um, that's needed. Yeah. Starting out, that is funny. I, I flew in to speak to a a group, a uh, church, a uh, pretty well-heeled congregation. And so I asked them to do two things uh, before I came, interview their church members. I think I said, give, give me six to eight interviews. Uh, and what do they think the community needs are? This is not even inside the church. Ask them about their perception of what's going on. Then I asked the church to go down to Walmart, uh, to the parking lot, and inter interview six to eight people about what this is. And so I showed those two videos. It was like folks from two different planets. Yeah. And, you know, and it was just such a stark uh, call to the, you know, to that leadership group of that church. And the, I mean, the leadership pool there numbered, uh, you know, almost 200 people to say, gosh, we're out of touch. Well, yeah, yeah you're in a bubble. Uh, yeah. you know, here's what's really going on. So now how can we begin to build bridges and think about uh, ways to, you know, and, and, do, and, and do you think, do you find that some church leaders are just so overwhelmed with what the, the community needs that they feel like they can't make a dent uh, in it? And so they just, they just cower down and won't, won't engage. Yeah. yeah. I think there's that um, challenge. Certainly. I also think there's the human challenge of feeling insecure about, I don't even know how to start attacking this. Yeah. I don't even, I don't know what the right answer is. And I think allowing ourselves to realize we don't have to have the answer. There you go. But we do, there's, I, I think that most problems can be solved through radical hospitality. Oh. And that as followers of Jesus is what we can do all day, every day. We can set a table. We don't have to be the one who knows the expert food to put on the table, but yeah. Um, but we can set the table and invite the people to the table and, and offer that hospitality so conversation can flow and the Lord can use it. Yeah. I also, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, yeah, please. Well, I just also wanna name a real truth, Reggie. Like, even if you could see your neighborhood, even if you had all the ideas on what to do, I'm also seeing the challenge that leaders are having right now through change management. So getting your congregation <laughs> to come alongside this new idea, this new way to pivot towards the community. And I think there's some generational challenges that can be there. And I think, you know, that the speed of change is moving so fast socially that it's been difficult for us as leaders to keep up with how to bring a group of people along and help them feel safe. Yeah. Um, and so I just wanted to offer one suggestion, one thing we're seeing is might be helpful to that. And that is, telling the story of your congregation to do the work to kind of go back in history. When did this congregation start? What, what was the reason this took place? What was the momentum that the early, um, you know, congregation starters of this place had? And then tell that story to the current, help them see their lineage, where, where they came from, why they're here, and then casting the vision. My, our instinct is that the echo of what was 100 years ago, if the church is that old, or 30 years ago, will still be there, even though the problems have shifted slightly. They'll see themselves in the arc of their own story yeah. and might be inspired in that way. You know, the, the whole thing of change management and transition, really, uh, everybody knows change happens. It's, it's the transition, how we uh, process the changes, uh, the, the emotional, the psychological impact. 
Uh, that's where church leaders, I think, so often, they, they even have a great vision. Uh, but to your point, bringing people along, yeah. uh, you know, to, to into alignment with that, to move from, you know, we're doing church fabulously, to we're serving our community fabulously, uh, mm -hmm. which is our responsibility. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a big shift and it takes a long time uh, you know, I, I was just yesterday, I was talking to the head of a doctoral program, a seminary, one of the, maybe the biggest B-men programs in the world. And uh, in an interview like this, and we were talking about how how critical it is that leaders be you know, be trained. I didn't have a, one single course in seminary about how to handle change uh, yeah. or conflict. Uh, you know, so, I mean, like Jesus, to loop back to, you know, uh, your story to begin with, I mean, Jesus encountered significant conflict right there in his hometown. Well, yeah. guess what? And he said, what they did to me, they're going to do to you. And somehow mm -hmm. we got it in our heads that being clergy and, and church leaders meant that we were going to be appreciated by everybody, thanked by everyone universally, and then given the trip to the Holy Land, you know, on, on our 10th anniversary or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. my goodness. So it's, 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 it's a different world to actually uh, – be a big boy, big, big girl, put on your big boy, big girl pants and go out there and, and let's be church. Yeah. The kingdom is upside down, isn't it? It's a paradox. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, so therefore the choice to live as a follower of Jesus is choosing to live the upside down life that what we're striving for is not what the world is striving for. So it's not wealth. It's not notoriety. It's, it's service and humility and, um, and mis being misunderstood and ultimately crucified. <laughs> That's what Jesus happened to him. So we should expect that. Yeah. Isn't it funny because that's what they said, you know, in the book of Acts, these men have come to town talking about Paul and his, his mm -hmm. group who have turned the world upside down. Mm -hmm. That's, that was the phrase. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, and of course in turning the world upside down, they were turning the world right side up. That's right. And, um, well, folks, I'm looking here all of a sudden at the clock. I mean, this is how time flies with Natalie. Uh, and, and you we always have so much fun together, Reggie. I know. We, we just do. I mean, it's, you know, we just start, we wear each other out, you know, and, and, and let's go, let's go, let's go. And so you know why I'm certainly attracted to her world and, and happy just any time to be able to intersect it. And I'm glad you've been able to hear from her. Uh, today and I hope you're just as jazzed as I am by the uh, and it, it, she she brings the energy that that we all need and and the reminders uh, you know that we are in a co-conspiratorial role with God uh, to make a difference in the world that's the kingdom so Natalie thanks for taking time so fun to be with you Reggie oh, thank you, you bet we'll we'll uh, we'll keep in touch all right.